Hello and welcome to New Tricks, the weekly podcast from New Dog PR. I'm Emily Newman. And I'm Catherine Doggall. This podcast is a chance to mull over the current goings on in hotel land, chat to some pleasant folk about things they know and provide some interest for your ears. We've brought our journalism and communication experience together with our sector knowledge and contacts to create a strategic PR company which understands investing in hotels and the many roles within them. Welcome to this week's episode of New Tricks, where we were lucky enough to be joined by Robin Shepherd, president of Bespoke Hotels, to consider such concepts as what we do if we are Rishi Sunak and where the sector goes from here. Welcome to episode 15 of New Tricks, the weekly podcast from New Dog PR. And today we are delighted to be joined by Robin Shepherd, president at Bespoke Hotels. Robin, thank you for joining us and welcome to New Tricks. How are Thank you? you? It's my pleasure. I'm delighted to be with you. How are you, Catherine? How is Paris? I'm splendid. Paris today is very Paris in the spring, um, which we are all enjoying because everyone is still at their country houses for another week. So those four of us who do not have country houses in Paris are whooping it up and you wouldn't believe that there are no queues in the supermarket and gutter drinking is still very, very hip, even though we are now on 36,000 cases a day. <laughs> so really? it's go well it's go well <laughs> you are winning you are winning the lockdown stakes there was no gutter drinking in any of our 72 lockdowns here in the uk <sighs> see gutter drinking is the way ahead the lowering of the tone here in paris but that's okay because all people have, have summer houses and, and country houses are, are perfectly safe away from our debauched ways drinking out of plastic glasses but that will pass because we're assured that mid-may uh, the ephemeral terraces will be back and there are ephemeral terraces being built in the gutters, which is difficult. It's taking away very important gutter space. Um, lots of fresh smell of plywood as you step out on the streets and little buildings and notches. And soon we'll all be eating outside again, probably. <laughs> as we are in the UK. Robin, have exactly. you done any outside eating or drinking this week so far? We've got about 12 of our properties that have been either celebrating uh, in the gutter or on the roof, um, and um, or the gutter, as they say. In uh, the gutter, as we do, is very uh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we've had extraordinary interest and take-up. Relatively few no-shows. Most people who have booked have behaved themselves, which is nice, and the weather's been reasonably kind, so uh, fairly promising, I must say, as an early start. Oh, I'm pleased to hear it. Sorry, go on. Indeed, no. And how's it how's it been um, all around the country? Because we've been hearing that we expected everyone to kind of roar back at once, but it seems that things have been a little bit patchy um, unexpectedly. Well, we did our homework with the twelve properties that we've reopened, so we did a little social media marketing to see what response we were getting. We were working with about eighteen of our units. We didn't get the quite the uptake in half a dozen of them, so we've reduced that down to twelve, where we were confident. There would be an immediate uplift. Um, we've then had to interpret everything into Welsh and to Scottish, because it's an entirely different set of rules of those course. two sets of hotels. Uh, so a very different approach. And then the lion's share of the properties will all open on the 17th of May when we're allowed to. And if I just um, uh, were to, to take the coast and country hotels that we've got strong bookings for, I'd be thrilled. But of course, uh, when you've got city centre hotels like Birmingham, London, Manchester, Glasgow, etc., the complexion is very different. So we mm. see strong uptake in traditional holiday destinations like the coast and the Lake District, for example, but tougher, tougher, much slower uptake in city centres. 
And what do you what what can you do about the city centres? Are they opening at all, or are you keeping them shut? No, we're we're opening, but we're being quite specific in terms of what we're targeting because we don't think corporate Britain's going to wake up just yet. So we're not throwing too much effort there. What we're trying to do is make people think of city centres as a leisure treat. Um, so the weekend demand pushing into Thursday from the traditional Friday Saturday trying to extend into four days where we can take a three-day break into a four-day break and so on. And I think we just have to uh, cut our cloth accordingly on the assumption that um, the corporate business probably won't start to wake up until September, and even mm. then it may be slow. Yeah. And what are, pe- what are people doing in London? Because I, I was thinking, since here in Paris, we're very lucky... Paris is extremely attractive and I'd use the analogy of it being sort of like a a kind of an old dowager dancer who's kind of gone to seed and maybe lost her mind a little bit so there's no mind you know there's no galleries or anything open um but but still looks great really looks good and you can walk around thinking well that's nice that's nice but whether you can you do that for four days in London what are people getting up to well, it depends where you where you go. But uh, I was in London two weeks ago because we were attempting to open a hotel in October near Liverpool Street Station, and all I could think of was Elton John's Tumbleweed Connection. It was just extraordinary. You half expected these old bits of twig and stick being swept up by a gusty wheeze mm. and breeze uh, along the roads. Um, if you saw a single person on a street, that was a uh, a crowd. Um, quite quite extraordinary. No queues for taxis, um, and uh, every every uh, takeaway venue, which normally would have a queue of people outside waiting to get their bespoke bagel, mm. um, just going in and grabbing a coffee and back out again and getting back to the building site that they're, they're busy carrying on building. I suppose that's the disconnect for the hospitality trade. It's been absolute deadlock stop mm. for the construction industry. Uh, a huge amount of building work has continued. So to specifically answer your question, I feel London feels very much like a big building site at the moment. Well, they come back shiny and, and full of exciting oh, things. <laughs> exactly. Unrecognisable to many. If you've not been into your work place of work for a month, or a month let alone mm. year, you see such seismic change in that time. Uh, both my sons have um, work which allows them to work from home and in theory, but both have found that the office that they once had in their companies no longer exists. So, and there's no deadline as to when they will be going back to an a specific Gosh. environment. We were talking a little bit about that this morning on a call that the the sort of the reduction in time spent in the office um, may well be part of the solution for um, the hospitality sector and specifically hotels in that in that teams will need to get together um, and whether how and whether hotels can position themselves to be that venue, that accommodation that helps bring those teams together if offices have been halved in size or relocated. Um, do you think there might be a potential for hotels to play a role there? Uh, well, it's called Soho House, really, isn't it? Um, <laughs> um, we it's always were, good to see their IPO coming back again. We were uh, involved with uh, Home House for a number of years in the mid-2000s a glorious business to be privileged to work in and when I look back and think what the DNA there was about a sense of belonging being able to have secretarial facilities as well as finding somewhere that you could hold your meetings um, uh, and, and so on and I, I think that is even more in vogue than it's ever been gloriously Adam Faith had this uh, penchant for a table 
at Fortnum and Mason's and he didn't have mm. an office. Um, he just said, I'll, I'll have my usual table and I'll entertain people there. So he never paid for an office. People come to him, have their business chat and he just order the coffees as he went. Yeah. My God, don't tell we work. Um, <laughs> but, um, so do you think that, um, that the, the growth of all this staying in the UK, if you think, are you going away this summer to other places? I booked my last summer's holiday to the Mediterranean island uh, to this summer mm. um, in June, because that's the longest day is the time I love to be um, in, in a sunny area. I have no idea whether we'll be able to fly out or not. Um, so I provisionally booked another holiday in September, just in case we can't go in June. Hmm. We'll wait and see if we can make either of them. Meanwhile, um, the staycation and the coastal holiday is uh, a phenomenon. Um, if I look at our sort of strong coastal destinations in our group, um, the, the volume of forward bookings is extraordinary. Yes, we're being very accommodating when it comes to cancellation and not too pejorative with our with our customers. But even so, I'm just thrilled to see the demand that's clearly there. Some of that's desperation, as in I'm going stir crazy. I have to get out and have a different vista. Mm. But some of it is much more pragmatic about saying I'm going to abandon hopes of overseas travel. Even India might not get there if you're taking your lead from Boris. No, yes, no, no Boris in India today, is it? Which is, I thought he was going to go and bring back some vaccines, but it's not so much, it seems, which is a bit tricky. But um, do you think this is going to... Or possibly stay there on a semi <laughs> If he, I'm not, I wouldn't object if he felt that he could. I, I think I could live with that. I, I think I, I could find room in my life for him to make a permanent move to India. Was it India where he was, had one of his um, civil servant minders had to stop him from speaking because he started quoting inappropriate, he started quoting Kipling or something last time he went. That some... would make a lot of sense. Yes. Yeah. And it's... tips from Prince Philip, bless him. Well, someone's got to take over the reins, so <laughs> maybe we'll be dialing it up from now on. <laughs> um, so, so do you think it will be a, a permanent move to holidaying in the coast of the UK? Will people say, oh, Cornwall, and then do it all the time? Or is this just, we've got I, to go there because, you know, Boris isn't? <clears throat> I think it will be an extended novelty. Mm. probably last this year and maybe well into next year. I, I think we've got to learn to live with COVID like flu and other ailments for quite some time to come uh, before it becomes a new normal. So on that premise, an extended holiday in the UK is highly likely to stay as de rigueur. Mm. And I think people will be much more selective about trying to travel overseas and pretty cautious in terms of not venturing away from traditional UK-centric places. So the traditional playground of Barbados and Mallorca and so on for Brits will probably remain uh, very much in vogue, but Tierra del Fuego and Montevideo may be a little bit further down the list because that's too much of an adventure for people when there's the health concern running at the same time. Yes, you make a good point. So um, so back to Boris um, and and, uh, and his... His, his handling of the pandemic. Whenever you say Boris and handling, you have to do, you can't see, you have to do like a sort of handsy thing because I can imagine him handling the pandemic and then there being a complaint afterwards. And, curing. And, <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's he's curing the pandemic. And um, well, certainly lots of people are making money out of it, aren't they? It seems. Um, so you're Rishi Sunak for the day. Um, you don't have to go to Wagamama and pretend to serve anyone. Um, what would you? What would you have done or do differently to or for the sector? Well, if anything, maybe he's done a bang up job. 
this is the bit where I self-combust because the there is a an enormous, way bigger than three hundred pound gorilla in the room, and it's called landlords and tenants. Mm. No one has stepped into the ring to say I'm going to referee this fixture. Well, they, going... they said they're going to. They what did they say? Because they've they've say um they said they've uh, launched a consultation, haven't they? And you can yeah. say, and they said, well, we might was it they might have to have words or might have to oh step in. That was it. The phrase government might have to step in well, and people have uh, been invited to bring their suggestions to the table yeah. <laughs> well I, I think it's a glorious piece of smoke screenery and uh, I, I just find it abhorrent that by far and away the most damaging relationship that could kill off the hospitality industry at a stroke is not coming in with some sort of formal ombudsman device and process mm. so for so many uh, businesses the high street coffee shop the big chains they're not building owners and their lease historically has provided great comfort to the landlord so he can charge three months in advance and agree upward only rent reviews and so on so that whole structure has i think come apart at the seams i think it's going to take a long time for businesses to be able to build up a the cash reserves and b the desire to get back in and be tenants again now of course when you multiply what a Lyon or a Pret-a-Manger or a Café Nero is paying in rent for one of their coffee shops and factoring it for a 150-bedroom hotel, mm. a least hotel cash call is enormous. So I do think there's some radical surgery that's required there. I hope it's not too late, but the government should have been doing this a year ago. It was, it was obvious then, and it's scarily obvious now. Yes. Yes, both the French and German governments, one of the first things they did, wasn't it, was immediately start acting on this and trying to yeah. bring people together. Um, like over here we have, you can get a tax break if you're a forgiving landlord and there's all sorts of options out there. With hindsight, of course, Dishy Rishi was responsible for help out to eat out or eat out to help out, never quite sure which. Um, and the timing of that, looking back, was wrong. Um, mm. It hailed a period of relaxation between the two lockdowns and didn't prepare us at all for the shock of going back into another wave. So I, I don't think he's had a particularly spectacular innings, this poor chap. Much vaunted because mm -hmm. he can read an autocue much better than Boris can. Uh, and he appears quite nice and quite um, keen and interested. But um, I, 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 I think there's a thinness there in terms of depth. Mm. Um, and I would have just longed for someone with a bigger intellect who would actually demonstrate a, a grasp of the, the macroeconomics that's at play here. Yes, I do fear we're in for a yet another career politician. So well, we've had enjoyed plenty of those uh, already. Such as, the, such as the paucity of the candidates, you well, you, isn't it? <laughs> you someone like Rishi and say he can articulate a sentence without erring and umming all the time or rubbing a balloon over his hair. <laughs> I don't know how else he does his hair in the morning, Boris, but it can't be. I assume smoke. he hangs upside down like a bat all night. Or <laughs> any possible explanation. It's the only, yes. Well, he has 15 naps a day, doesn't he? So I guess that's how he does it. It's his permanent bed hair. Oh, I see. It's, yeah, he has 15 or 16 naps. I didn't realise that, but that explains it. He does nap a lot. He yeah. naps a lot, apparently. Mm -hmm. So upwards of, I think realistically it's not 15, it's more like three. So... It's very, it's very tiring. It's very tiring. It also explains the crumpled suits. So she's like, whoosh, like that, straight down, back up, like a weeble, a weeble of minister of ministerial magic. But um, Emily, can you do some yes. questioning? 
Yes, shall we? Let's do some questions. <laughs> Interesting. Um, just to alert everyone, as a, uh, as, a as a something that is happening this this week, um, the master the master inholders are holding a webinar uh, this Thursday, I believe, at three pm, in which I don't know how how many naps he takes, but the um, the right honourable Oliver Dowden is going to be interviewed by Kate. Um, from UK Hospitality. So yeah. if anyone's interested in attending that at three o'clock on Thursday, please do have a poke around LinkedIn and there's registration details uh, and bits and pieces. And we can ask him how many times he naps, potentially. I think it's relevant at this point. Could be interesting. Mm. So, Robin, um, some questions... By, by, the way, by the way, Kate Nichols doesn't nap at all. I don't think the woman sleeps. She's been so prodigious. No, she can't possibly have done even, for even at least 15 months. months. Even if all she was doing was being on Twitter... That would still yes. be more than I could possibly get take care of in a day. She's lightning, that woman. Fantastic. She is. I'd take my hat off to her. She's absolutely, absolutely. here, here. Um, so some questions for you, um, just thinking about who we are and where we are, Robin. Can you answer these questions for us, please? Um, when the shutters are up and I've had the jabs in my arm, the first thing I'm going to do is uh well, several things, I suppose. Tell everybody about it. <laughs> Obviously. Um, then worry about all the people who haven't had the jab and how to help them. Um, and then probably have one drink or two too many because I can. And it's that <laughs> sense of liberty of being able to just indulge again without feeling feckless or reckless. I, I, I long for that moment. So I, I may have the odd schooner and insist upon someone to drive me home. Very, very, very... Very responsible and quite right too. What is your what's your beverage of choice? What will you be? What, what will that drink be? Uh, well, Chasse Maraschet if there's if there's a, a nice glass going, um, and Leoville Barton if we're having a, a little um, beef Wellington or something that would be very nice. If not, uh, a, a decent pint of Hook Norton in a straight glass. Mm. I enjoy that very much. And I'm particularly taken through lockdown with non-alcoholic gins and other non-alcoholic drinks because. It's still important to define gin o'clock on a Friday, mm. at which point you can go into your abyss of alcohol-induced morphia. <clears throat> but from Monday to Thursday, having a pretend gin and tonic, I think, is to be recommended. So Quite right, um, too. We have to differentiate days somehow. It's but true. It well, it's like the, it's like the Zoom of, of uh, meetings and drinkings, isn't it? You have fake meetings and then fake drinking. It makes perfect yes, sense. If you, can, if you can get the mouthfeel right um, for a drink... Mm performs and behaves and smells like is identifiable as and gives you the same sort of sense of excitement then i think that's a wonderful thing and it's amazing how um authentic some of the new drinks on the marketplace appear to be mm. um someone said to me the other day it's not a fad it's a movement um and certainly if i talk to the younger generation they desire uh, not to consume alcohol to the industrial levels that I used to mm. when I was a student is is quite something. Um, you could yes. get medals. You could get medals when I was a lad, but uh, these days I think it's the other way around. So. Yes, a friend of mine runs a um, um, uh, publication. I think it's probably the word that focuses on the alcohol industry. He's very active on on Twitter and all the social media, and so I'm always seeing things from him saying about the change and the move away from alcohol and the move yeah. away from excess. Yeah. Um, so yes, I think you're absolutely right. And helps to define the days. Um, <laughs> the best thing oh, about which is so difficult. <laughs> exactly. The best thing about the hotel sector is 
the camaraderie. Um, I think by nature, the default for every hotelier is to invite you to stay in your hotel to people you've only just met. Um, and I don't think that will go away. Um, and I think it will resurge that sense of compassion, that fellowship, that enjoyment of other people's company. And if we've had that in such strict rations over the last 12 months, being able to go back and socialize, I think, is a great gift. So uh, that's that's my short answer to your, your question, I think. Open the doors, let's behave in a collegiate way um, and allow hospitality specialists to, to show you that skill of providing excellent hospitality. The last 15 months have been like the mother of all detox. Um, and I feel like it's given us the opportunity to then plug back into the bits that we really want to. And we'll make those, we'll be able to make those decisions based on what we know we've missed and what we were doing because we sort of just had to do. And I hope that continues. Um, and I, for one, will be very much banging on the doors of hotels, asking them to let me in. And obviously when they're open, not in a sort of rude way. Yes. I, I miss just talking rubbish. So, <laughs> which is hard to do on zoom. I've discovered when yeah, I, when I met up with people it. for gutter drinking, it's just been just nonsense. Just, nonsense with professional <laughs> people in the sector exactly just you all the, the physical cues are there and you just blah, 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 rubbish rubbish <laughs> i just i've got like a year's worth of stored up nonsense well, <laughs> just gonna come out my dear with alacrity <laughs> i will i must i think the good thing we've learned a couple of things if you want to stop your carbon footprint expansion at a stroke yeah. just have another pandemic and make Perfect. everything locked down so that's one thing we must cherish and not revert back to our bad old ways of driving an enormous number of vehicles all over the place and burning gas. Um, and I think the meeting format we're enjoying now is going to be here to stay in a kind of hybrid in which I, you'd probably have half a dozen people at the conference and another uh, 60 people dialing into the conference. Um, mm. as opposed to 66 people going entirely to a conference. So I, I do think we're going to have to adapt our communication systems to accept that it's perfectly normal for some people to be remote and others to be physically in the room and see what happens. The last part, of course, which we all miss, is that whilst you can maintain and service existing business contacts, building new ones is mm. never going to happen unless you have that physical contact and chemistry. Yeah. So I, I long for that, long for its return. The hotel sector would be significantly improved if? Uh, we had a non-political minister for hospitality with a strong clarion voice, an ability to uh, rationalise complex issues into simple language, uh, who can punch above their weight and make changes permanent for us. Um, I know Hugh Osmond has been um, banging on in the air, airwaves. Uh, Luke Johnson's been doing the same. Sasha Lord appears to have been doing a seismic job, mm. trying to get the, the government brought to account. And as, I think he's, a, he's our jolly and warm, isn't he? Yeah, and, and all, all power to them for raising a hectoring voice to, to challenge. Um, we do seem to have slipped into a totalitarian state, or totalitarian, totalitarian state, which I find unpleasant. Um, and I I would just like to see a healthy opposition giving a hard time to the leadership. My slight segue, my 
great cause, I suppose, in hospitality is, is to make the lot of the accessible or the lot of access for people who need help with access better. Um, and I suppose for many people who've been enforced into lockdown, it gives them an idea of what it's like not to be able to go out because you've got that level of compromise in your mobility. So mm. perhaps there's some lessons which will come out of there for people to say, maybe I should think about what it's like for people who permanently find it really difficult to get out and about because uh, I, mine is temporary and I can improve the lot for those who find it permanent. So I'm, I'm hoping there'll be some chemistry there. Which was what the industry needs now is... Um, cash it just <laughs> needs cash i'm sorry to talk about filthy lucre but without cash we just can't perform and he needs cash to flow it doesn't need insurance companies who've been caught on the naughty step by uh, the judge and told to pay out on their policies it needs the cash to move out of their reserved account in switzerland and into the bank account of joe the burger guy in shoreditch it's it's a movement of cash it needs cash in the tills. It needs money just to change hands and allow the liquidity to resolve all our issues. If I look in my own business, uh, how much we had as free cash to invest in the future of our business at the start of lockdown versus how much we've had to borrow through C-bills in order just to stay afloat and continue to support uh, our staff with no income coming in and continue to pay rent to as many of our landlords as we can, then it's a marked contrast and we can't be alone. We, we, mm. So many others will have found that reserves are no longer there. Debt that you never knew you needed, you are now entirely reliant upon. So anything that improves liquidity is absolutely vital. If you've got it, everything else can flow. Without it, our business is constipated permanently. So let's hope. Indeed. And finally, uh, this is a question, not a statement. I'd like to think we've learnt from this. Uh, I certainly would. Uh, but the great danger is, of course, if you're a deep sea diver, the temptation is to come up a bit quickly and you get something called the bends. My nervousness is that we may find as we come out of this, everybody's had two vaccines. We in the UK, with our Brexit doors firmly closed on the rest of the world, are saying, well, we're all right, Jack. Never mind about compassion in the Sudan or other areas where we used to take a level of responsibility. Um, so I, I, I hope that there will be um, a sense of largesse and a, a sense of um, help and a Christianity which will allow us to, to go back into the marketplace beyond our own shores and give as much as we can. We're very fortunate in the UK, probably one of the fastest rollouts behind Gibraltar and Israel uh, of the vaccine treatment. And um, there's a huge number of countries where that simply is going to be possible for logistical reasons alone. Um, so anything we can do to help and normalize it. If you look back to SARS, um, AIDS, um, foot and mouth disease, when we first started a business 20 years ago, the first uh, epidemic we had was this awful thing with Tony Blair deciding to butcher and burn millions of cattle which seemed the most draconian thing to do, but looking back, it was the right decision. Um, and preventing mad cow disease from spreading around the world was our duty of care to everybody else. So I hope we've learned that lesson. But the great temptation, which we must avoid, is to come up too quickly, assume we're wholly back to normal, 
and then finally we've got um, um, hallucinations because we haven't recalibrated sensibly or long-term enough. So that concludes our thoughts for this week. Thank you to everyone involved in creating this episode and providing something for your ears whilst walking the dog, washing the cat, chopping the veg, or however else you pass the time while podcasting. Please do review and subscribe if you get your ear entertainment via Apple or follow new tricks if your ear delight comes from Spotify. These things make a difference, apparently. Until next time.